All right, so we're continuing our fruit salad series. Uh, we started talking about abiding in the vine. Vern and Alicia shared on that. Jesus, the vine. Then Vern shared about all these different things that can attack the fruit and, and, and choke it out. They're fruit killers, right? And then last week, more on the, the, spirit, the spirit of joy. And that was awesome to hear. That was so cool. Um, joy crushes oppression. I love that. It crushes it. It doesn't just push it out a little bit. It doesn't just weaken it. It completely crushes it. Amen? And today we're talking about um, cultivating sustainability. Well, that sounds a little too heady, doesn't it? But this is kind of like we're talking about fruit, and this is like a garden, okay? If we want the fruits to grow, we have to think of it like a garden, like the Spirit of God in us is something that needs to be cultivated, nurtured, cared for, and we want to do it for our whole lives. We want it to be sustainable. We don't want to just have seasons of this, right? We want it all the time. Something we've discussed regarding the fruits of the Spirit is that they're transcendent of our circumstances, right? So it's not whether you feel like it, it's not selected to certain situations, only with people you like or people who look like you, but with all people, regardless of whether or not we've been wronged, it's irreverent of our emotions. The spirit of peace that surpasses all understanding. The spirit of joy in the midst of the storm, right? The spirit of love on the other side of betrayal. Also, when we read what Paul wrote to the Galatians, I want to say this. There's no way we could misinterpret what these attributes are to be used for. We don't need patience for God. (laughs) He's the one who's patient. (laughs) We need patience for other people, right? We don't need joy for God. He is the giver of all joy, right? We need it for other people. It's for to sustain us in our circumstances and trials and in our mission to build the kingdom of God in this world. It's not just to make you feel better about life. These are the tools that the Spirit has given us to make a difference in this world. Amen? Fruit can only grow if you plant it in good soil, water it daily, and give it some sun. It's obviously, like, it's a little bit more complicated than that sometimes. I know some plants are different. Sometimes you have to do, like, little nutrient packs or stuff like that, and you have to prune them sometimes. Like, it's more complicated. But those are the essential things that a plant needs, right? In the same way, there are clear steps that we can take to nurture the fruit of the Spirit in our daily lives. And they're not just recommendations. The same way, it's not just a recommendation to water your plants. Like, it's kind of good for them or somewhat beneficial. If you don't water them, they're going to die, right? If you don't give it sun, it's going to die. It's necessary. Growth in the fruit of the Spirit does not happen by chance. It requires our attention and devotion and a receptiveness and awareness of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's pray real quick, and we're gonna commit our attention and devotion to him this morning. Lord, we thank you for your spirit in us. We thank you that you are doing a work, Lord. I pray that we would be receptive and aware of what you want to grow within us. Lord, that we would look at all the fruits of the spirit and say more, and say we want more of that, Lord. We want that to grow, and we would put aside our flesh, put aside the desires of our mind, of our bellies, Lord, and we would just focus and be attentive to what you want to do, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do today. We'll talk about the nature of our flesh versus the nature of our spirit, and then we'll talk about how death is actually the first step to bearing fruit, 
It sounds heavy. It kind of is, but it'll be good, I promise. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about playing the long game. Like, if we want to do this for our whole lives, how do we cultivate that sustainability? And we'll talk about some helpful reminders for when we get off track, when we're not seeing growth, and when we're seeing things start to decay. How do we get back on track? Okay? So let's start with our main passage, Galatians 5. And if we pull back a little bit earlier, we, we've been starting with the main, the main text here is verse 22 about all the different fruits of the Spirit. But if we pull back a little further, we get a little context that I think is really helpful. For, so starting chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the, lu- the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, <laughs> selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, well, this list is really long, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So all the other things that are like that. <laughs> of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So this is a war between our flesh and the spirit. And there's three things I want to point out from that text concerning the nature of our flesh versus the spirit. Number one, the flesh and the spirit do not mix. There are oil and water. They do not mix. The spirit gives life and the flesh profits nothing. So the contrast that Jesus said that, and we'll get to where he said that because it's really important. The contrast between our flesh and the spirit could not be any greater, right? Adultery and fornication could never be seen as true love, right? Hatred, contentions, and jealousies could never be seen as joy. Envy, murders, and drunkenness could never be seen as gentleness and peace. So many, some of you know this about me. Others may not. I'm a big golf fan. I love golf. I love playing golf. And yes, I even love watching it on television. It's that bad, yes. <laughs> so most people, I think, they put golf on TV when they want to take a nap, right? I am locked in. It's really fun, honestly. Um, I'm not going to make you feel like you have to do that, but maybe once in a while, try it. Okay, when, when I was in ninth grade, um, I was on the golf team at Reading High. We had a grand total of like 10 people on the team. <laughs> My senior year, there were five of us, okay? It's maybe a dying sport in the inner city, which is unfortunate, but we got to go on this trip to Aronimate Golf Course to a professional golf tournament, and guess who was there? Tiger Woods, okay, cool. My favorite golf player, and give, give, say whatever you want about his past, I love him, okay. Um, as I should, as a Christian, I should love him. <laughs> um, 
So we got to see Tiger Woods, and you know, I'm like so hype about this. I'm so excited. Like, I can't wait to see him. We're at the driving range, and all these, you know, professional players are coming out, and they're starting to hit, and you're like, why is Tiger coming out, right? And then there he comes. He starts walking out, and I didn't even see him at first, because, but people started like, there was this like wave of like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like, there he is. And I'm like, there he is. And then I see him. I finally saw him with my natural eyes, right? Like, I'd seen him on television all this time. I see him with my natural eyes, and I'm like, what's the big deal? Right? It's like, what a letdown. And, and the point of this is that, like, yeah, he is an extraordinary golfer, like the greatest golfer of all time. But he's just another human, right? And seeing him with my eyes, it was like, well, you know what I mean? It didn't make a difference. Like, I, I thought there would be something magical that would happen. I don't know what I expected. Maybe I thought he was going to turn around and be like, you, you're a cool guy. Like, I don't know what he was going to do. Like, it wasn't, he didn't do that. <laughs> and, you know, he's just another human. And seeing him with my natural eyes didn't make a difference. And you know, this makes me think about what we see with our eyes, right? It makes me think of the disciples walking with Jesus. And I, th- I sometimes think that they had this huge advantage in that they could see Jesus face to face. Like, man, if only I could see Jesus face to face, then I would probably believe and have way more faith than I do right now, right? But the funny thing is that most people in the history of the entire world have not seen Jesus face to face. Right? And there are billions of Christians. We still believe, right? And even the disciples, they did see him. And how long did it take them to believe that he was who he was? Right? They, they neglected that. And he told them over and over and over again. And they're like, what are you talking about? Right? That's because the revelation of Jesus is a spiritual revelation. Matthew 16, verse 5, starting at verse 15. Peter did eventually confess that Jesus was the Messiah, but here's what Jesus said. He said, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So Peter's literally standing face to face with Jesus, and Jesus says that Peter's revelation of who Jesus is is not because he sees him, not because of flesh and blood. He's looking right at Jesus in the flesh and saying, yeah, the reason that you've come to that conclusion that I'm the Messiah, it's not an intellectual, evidence-based, technical conclusion, right? It's a spiritual revelation from God in heaven. The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Plenty of people walked around Jesus saw what he was doing in the time that he was walking on the earth, watched what he was doing, saw what he was doing, and did not believe. Right? If we go to John, John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching to a large crowd, and he says, I'm summarizing here, unless you eat my flesh and blood, you have no life. And the people are astonished. These people who he called his disciples, they were astonished by that, and they just leave him. They say, we can't accept that teaching. Right? And then there were only 12 that remained. And this happened also right after Jesus had just fed thousands of people. He'd satisfied their flesh. Thousands of people. But he was looking for those people who were willing to put aside their flesh. 
to put aside their bellies, right, and follow him. He wanted those who would follow him because they wanted the bread of life, not just the bread of the earth. This is exactly where Jesus says, the spirit gives life and the flesh profits nothing. So even though you are satisfied in your flesh, that's not the end. He rebuked their own material and earthly motivations for following him. If they did not seek him by the spirit instead of seeking him for food and an earthly kingdom, right, then they had not actually come to him for what he can give them, right? So if believing and following Jesus is born of the spirit and not our flesh, then following our flesh will never lead to the cultivation of the fruit of the spirit, right? Because they produce entirely different things. They are toxic to each other, in fact, right? We talked about this. Joy is toxic to oppression. But in the same way, envy and jealousy are toxic to joy. Because the, like we said earlier, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. So something is always growing in us. What kind of plant do we want it to be? If the flesh is lusting against the spirit, it needs to die, right? So number two here is the fruit of the spirit requires the death of our flesh. If we go to Colossians 3, Paul writing the church again, he says, and we're gonna dig into these three, four verses here, and it's gonna get a little technical, but I promise it'll make sense. If then you were raised with Christ, if you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what we have here is an if, a then, and a because. Okay? Verse 1 says, if then you were raised with Christ, then what? Then seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Then set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you die because... For, can you, you can replace that with because, because you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So back to verse one. If then you were raised with Christ, if Christ is raised, he had to die, okay? And if we are to be raised with Christ, we must also die. But, be, but as we die, verse three, for you died, our life, even though we die, we are alive again. We are raised with Christ, alive, hidden with Christ, as Jesus has been raised, so are we raised. Amen? Death turns to life. Jesus is alive, right? Death is what comes first. Death is the first step to bearing fruit. In John chapter three, Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. All this to say, if you don't believe that Christ died for you, was raised again, and confessed that he is Lord of your life, there won't be any fruits of his spirit growing within you. Because when you believe that Christ died and rose again, now your flesh can die with purpose. Your flesh can die so that you can be alive again in the spirit. Amen? The spirit can thrive. The spirit can only thrive when our flesh has been crucified. Okay? And I say thrive, we might have little glimpses here and there, but if our flesh is still working 
to, to pr- pr- uh, preserve itself, right? It's not gonna, the plant will not thrive. We'll see little glimpses, maybe the flower will start to bud and then it'll fall off, right? This is just like a garden. This is just the way it works in a garden. Being born again is not a minor shift. It's a complete rephrasing of your current reality, a complete and total change. It is death to life, zero to infinity, which by the way, you know that we say, when we talk about a little bit of number theory to give our brains a break, maybe this isn't actually gonna give our brains a break, but one to, one, one to two is a 100% increase, right? Yeah. No? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> two to three is a 50% increase. Zero to anything, at the smallest possible amount, one over the, the largest number ever, right? Zero to anything is an infinite amount of growth because you go from nothing to something. We go from nothing to something. God created all things. God created everything. He, went, he brought us from nothing to something, an infinite amount of growth, right? It's not just an incremental growth, like 50% or 100% or even 200%, right? It's an infinite change. Okay, cool. All right. So Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Paul is saying, since you've been raised with Christ, Can we go back to that actually? Colossians 3, verse one. Let's look at it. So if then you were raised with Christ, just put that in a little box, that's living in the spirit. We're being raised with Christ. That's living in the spirit. And then we can say, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things, That's walking in the spirit. We're raised with Christ. We have the spirit. We live in the spirit. But then he's saying, do these things. Set your heart on the things that are above. The fruits of the spirit. Where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above. Not on earthly things. That's walking in the spirit. The end of Galatians 5.25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. All I'm seeing here is there's a distinction between being born again and walking it out. I think a lot of us know that, but hey, do we need to be reminded of that sometimes, right? Does this not suggest that we could be living in the spirit but walking in the flesh? Ignoring the Holy Spirit within us and choosing to live like we're still dead, right? Being born again doesn't mean that we never sin. It doesn't mean that we never fail or fall short or miss the mark that we've, like we've talked about. There is just now context and we see clearly when we do wrong, right? There's context for what we do with that, where we go to God. We return to him, and he gives us the grace and the power to change, amen? The New Living Translation uh, says, Galatians 5.25, this way, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, amen? So are we going to listen? Do we have the courage to put aside our flesh? Number three here, walking in the spirit is a daily, moment-by-moment choice, like we're talking about. Walking it out is a daily, moment-by-moment choice. The life of a Christian 
is filled with nuance, daily revelations, there's shifting patterns, there's intellectual and emotional dilemmas. It's not confusing because we have a helper who's able, amen? Any confusion that comes in is not of the spirit, and it's usually our flesh, right, or a culture thing, because the way of Christ is really simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. If you want it, though, something that's easy, and it's actually more complicated, you could follow the way of the world, right, where you... You, you just kind of make your own, a postmodernist worldview where you make up your own reality. There's no objective truth, right? But I'll say this, in that life, there are only illusions of love and joy and peace. In that life, there's also no inheritance of the kingdom of God, right? So the life of a Christian is in the dirt. It's in the soil, but that's where the fruit grows. It's messy and sometimes it's painful, but it's rewarding and life-giving, we're tilling the ground, we're pruning, we're burning, replanting, we're nurturing, and we're ultimately partaking of the fruit, the end result, right? And let me say this about partaking of the fruit. We talked about this in the beginning, we talked about this in all the messages, about what are the fruits of the Spirit are to be used for, right? That they're not for God, we don't need patience for God, we don't need joy for God, we need it for the people around us. So as the fruit of the Spirit grows within us, we have to share it. The fruit is to be partaken and shared. If you withhold it from others, you will only have little. This is a kingdom principle. And, we have seen, and many of us seen it, have seen this play out in all these different areas of our life. When you start giving what you have, the Lord is faithful to replenish you above and beyond what you had before. The pantry will begin to multiply right? To the point where you're thinking, I got to get rid of some of this, okay? Think of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or 4,000 people. That little boy, he brought forth five loaves and two fish. It's God's nature to take what little we have to offer and multiply it so that whoever is in need will be satisfied with leftovers, right? He will not leave you empty-handed, on the other side of your generosity and sacrificial service to others. He will not leave you empty-handed. And that can be a reasoning for us to be like, I have to hold on to this, right? What am I gonna, ha- what am I gonna have if I, get, if I give this away? What will I have if I give this away, right? We think that, we go, we go logical with it. But God is faithful to replenish you above and beyond what you had before, amen? So we have to share the fruit. Start sharing the fruit. And we also have to wait for the fruit, just like a garden. You know, when we go to the grocery store, it's really hard to remember that fruit takes time to grow. We just go to the grocery store and we're like, apples, oranges, bananas, strawberries, done, right? But if we were making those on our own in our own garden, it would take some time. And here's this, right? Like, if you're just like, I need more joy. Oh, I want to be joyful. You can't just try harder, right? We're just like, I'm not going to be sad. Oh, it's not in your own strength. It's not in your flesh, right? It's born of the spirit. Joy is that spiritual state that grows within you over time as you walk in the spirit and nurture your relationship with God. As you learn to stop comparing, as you are filled with deeper understandings of God's goodness, as you learn that heaven is your home, it's something you receive as the plant grows. 
When we plant, if you planted a seed in the dirt, you won't see results immediately. And if you came back the next day, so say you plant a seed, go to sleep, come back, and you're like, it's not working. And then you dig it up. I gotta plant somewhere else and do the same thing every day. That seed's gonna die, first of all. <laughs> but you'll never see results, right? So we don't walk in our own strength. We don't walk with our logical mind. We don't walk by sight in that sense. We trust God and walk in the spirit. You can't force the plant to grow faster. That's a hard word to hear. But all you can do is nurture it and cultivate it. All we can do is nurture it and cultivate it and, and reap the results, right? And ask God for big things. I'm not saying that you're gonna have little. I'm saying ask God for big things. But if you're in a state where you're like, I don't really have patience, I don't really have joy, and you want patience, and are you willing to wait for it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, are we willing to wait to have the patience, or are we just expecting that it's gonna be this click, and I'm like, now all of a sudden I'm patient, you know what I mean? There's other stuff that may need to happen. Like, we're talking about getting rid of our flesh. Like, do we need to do some things first so that there is space for patience to grow in our hearts, right? For joy to grow in our hearts, for love to grow in our hearts, right? If we have envy and bitterness towards other people, and we just like, I just want to love people, but we still have envy and bitterness going on, that needs to be crucified so that the love can grow. And that takes time. It takes time, I think maybe more so, God is quick to work, maybe more so, it said it takes time for us to get out of the way. So keep going, keep nurturing it, keep cultivating it. Okay, so recapping this first section that we just went through, we said that the flesh and the spirit are at odds with each other, they do not mix. Because of that, if we want the spirit, the fruit of the spirit to grow within us, it requires the death of our flesh. And then seeing the fruits of the spirit grow within us and the active process of crucifying our flesh, walking in the spirit, so to speak, is a daily moment by moment choice. And we need to do that by sharing the fruit and waiting for the fruit, amen? So this next section of the message, I wanna talk about one of the, a particular fruit. We're gonna talk about kindness. And I wanna share what we learn from children uh, and also what we learn from Jesus. So kindness is a really, really difficult thing to define. It's almost like uh, if you had to define the word good, like how do you define good? You're like, well, it's good. And I don't really know, having any other words to, like it's positive. You're like, okay, it's just synonyms, right? But I will say this, like kindness is the kind of thing that we all know what it is, right? But how do we define it? Isn't that weird? And I think that's one of the reasons why it's a fruit of the spirit because there's something about it that we internalize, right? That we know and we feel, but it's hard to put words to it. And I love, I love when we can't put words to it. Unfortunately, I'm gonna try to put words to it. <laughs> um, but it's such a fundamental idea, it's this feeling and this next section is gonna be very feely, full disclosure, <laughs> but I think we just spent a bunch of time being very technical and taking apart the scriptures, so hopefully this is good. Um, but we do need to feel what we're talking about, too, and not just know it in our minds. So kindness. I wanna start with this, Matthew 18. 
Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you become, and, uh, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean? Let's just say, like, um, bring a child into your mind. Maybe it's your own child. Maybe it's a nephew or a relative. Just close your eyes. If they can talk back to you, they're too old. Okay, little children. I'm talking about little, little, like very little children, okay? If they're, like, really disobedient, think of a different kid. <laughs> Jesus does not want you to become a rebellious four-year-old, Okay? I mean, four-year-olds are great. I, I don't have one yet, but I think they're great. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so little children. We're talking about very little children. <laughs> they do give us a glimpse, though, of a lot of different things, but I think they especially show us that innocent kindness. Right? They assume the innocence of others. They don't assume that you're bad. They assume that you're good. And that's something that we can learn. Like, adults, we rarely do that. We are on guard. We're like... I don't know you, you're evil. That's how, that's how we are. I mean, you might not say that out loud, but that's in the back of your mind, right? So children, they're off to a way better start than us adults. But I can remember my early teenage years, so like after I was no longer a little child, we all went through that teenage rebellion, teenage independence phase, right? Um, Somehow, whenever I preach, this story comes up. <laughs> so I have no shame. But it's, it's funny more than it is scary or sad. Um, I was into, you know, I, I didn't really have any crazy stories, just the typical stuff. Like one time, you know, I, I threw a rock at a bus. Oh, gosh, okay. <clears throat> it wasn't like... The bus was moving, yeah, and there were people on it, and I did it on purpose. Okay, fine. We got that out of the way. I was, I don't know, I can't even tell you why, and you know what, Vern, I really appreciate that you were saying about breaking generational curses, that my children are not going to be children that throw rocks at buses in the name of Jesus. They will not do that on purpose, even though, even though I did it on purpose, right? Amen. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did this, uh, it was pretty bad, and, uh, and I lied about it, and then... Thank you, mom and dad, for staying with me. But anyway, anytime something like that, no, that was like probably the worst thing that I actually did, okay? But anytime I did anything that was like, this, is, this was pretty bad, this funny thing would happen, and I would be like, you know, just rebelling against even the discipline that came from that. I was just mad. I was frustrated. I was like, you know, I was lost, right? But what would happen was, uh, my mom would show me <laughs> this photo of myself, a random one, not necessarily always the same one, a photo of myself from when I was a little child. She'd show it to me, right? And she would say something like, what happened to that little boy, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I like, as a parent now, I really understand what she's saying. So like, why are you, what changed? Why did you change, you know what I mean? But like, Honestly, whenever she would do that, I would crumble. I would just cry. And there was this, there was this part, something within me that like just desired to go back to that way of life as a child, right? To become like a little child again and to have that innocent kindness towards other people. 
In the midst of my rebellion and frustration and disobedience, I longed again for purity and peace, right? And as adults, our culture has taught us to drift away from that place of warmth and love into this cold world of unforgiveness and selfishness and vengeance, of comparison and favoritism. So Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, and he's talking to who? He's talking to adults. So he's saying, become like little children again, right? You will not ever, and never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, you must be born again. And he shared with his disciples, become like a little child. Feel with me. What if to be born again is to forget everything you've ever known? To let life, adult life, the problems, the concerns, the fears, the anger, the frustrations fall off of you. Amen? To become like a little child who does not know, but is kind, but loves, but trusts, who doesn't fully understand, but is in awe and wonder. Amen. Let's become like little children. Amen. Uh, let's, so let's talk about what we learned from Jesus. We learned, we learned that Jesus pointed us to that, right? He said, become like, he's the one who said, become like a little child, right? So we learn that from children. What do we learn directly from Jesus? I will say this, that our kindness, all the fruits of the spirit, especially kindness though, is fueled by what Christ has done for us. So quickly, here are five examples from the gospels. Actually, it's four there's a fifth one that I add on for fun. Okay, here are four examples from the Gospels of what Jesus does, has, did in, in the stories of the Gospels. Number one, he touches the unclean. This is in Matthew 8, verse one. He says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and reached out his hand and touched the man Oh, sorry, sorry. Now before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Because of the communicability of their diseases, lepers, uh, lepers were considered unclean by the majority of people in Jesus' time. They lived completely separately and they were seen as unclean and untouchable. But Jesus, taking pity on him, touched his hand, healed him of his disease. He did not see the man as a leper, but as a human being who was sick and needed his help. His child. Number two, he sat with sinners. <clears throat> Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a tree, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. <clears throat> So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. He didn't come for the people who thought they were righteous. He came for the people who knew they were sinners, right? Zacchaeus recognized that. And Jesus did not care one ounce what people thought of that because he came for him. He came for him. He sits with sinners. Number three, he reaches out to the foreigner. In John John chapter four, Jesus preaches to the Samaritan woman. Breaking the boundaries of xenophobia and prejudice towards Samaria and Samaritans. They were considered to be half-bloods, so to speak. They were half-Jewish, half-Samaritan. And so the Jewish people regarded them as a completely lesser race. It was racist of them to do that. And Jesus went up to her and preached to her and cared for her and loved on her well, even though she was not what the Jewish people or what his peers and followers wanted him to do. He reached out to the foreigner, amen. And number four, he loves his accusers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the disciples realized that Jesus was going to be arrested, they drew their swords. Uh, one, one, uh, one of the gospels says it was Peter, which would make sense. <laughs> we don't, another one say it was one of them, but um, he, whichever one it was, drew his sword and struck the servant of the, pri- uh, the high priest and cut off his ear. So this, these people were coming to arrest Jesus. They were accusing him of treason or whatever. I don't know what the actual legal charge was, but they were accusing him to the point that they wanted to kill him. And Jesus' disciples, in my mind, it's almost like, yeah, like, yo, let's get this stopped, right? He cuts off his ear and Jesus says, stop this right now. He takes the man and he heals his ear. His own accuser, who would eventually, that would eventually lead to his own death. He healed him because he loved him. He still found it in him to heal the man who was arresting him in spite of his imminent death. Number five, he died for us. So we can identify with each of these different stories and we can place ourselves as the recipients of the kindness of Christ. We were once unclean, right? But Christ was kind and willing to touch us and to heal us. We were once sinners, but Christ was kind and willing to sit with us and eat. We were once foreigners to the kingdom of heaven But Christ was kind and went out of his way to adopt us in and bring us into his family. We were once the accusers and betrayers of God. But Christ was not only kind and willing to forgive, but he even died for us. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. So like we've been talking about all series, we're talking about in every message here, None of the fruits of the Spirit are possible if we don't know Christ. So we want to take a moment right now. If that's you, and give you an opportunity, if that's you, if you don't know Christ, if you're thinking, I need to start over, 
right? I need to become like a child again. Maybe you're thinking, I need something to change. I can't keep going through these cycles of depletion. I need real peace. I need real joy, not just the emotions of life, not just the physical bread. I need Jesus. If that's you, with every eye closed, so that we can have some personal space. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand so we can play, pray together. Don't be afraid. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray this all together. Every voice. Say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You are my Savior. I repent of all my sins. I receive your love and forgiveness. Let your Holy Spirit fill me completely. Amen. Come on, can we thank those who just made that commitment today? Hallelujah. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, on the chair in front of you, there's a QR card. We'd love for you to scan that so you can get connected. Follow the, the link for the connect card and then stop by the next step station in the lobby. We have a book for you that we'd love for you to read. And I'll, I just wanna pray one more time. We bless your journey. No matter where you're at today, we bless it in the name of Jesus. One last prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, for the fruits of your spirit dwelling within us. We thank you for the cross that you endured on our behalf, that we would become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, that we could be the dwelling place, the garden of the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. Give us the courage and strength to walk in your Spirit each and every day, to put aside our flesh, to become like little children, Lord, to put aside our desires and pursue you fully. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. If you need prayer, no matter what it's for, we encourage you, the prayer team can come on, come on forward. If you need prayer, no matter what it's for, we invite you to come forward and, and get prayer. On your way out, enjoy some fellowship in the lobby, and we'll see you guys again next week. God bless you all.